Welcome, welcome to Anchored and Devoted. This is Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Joseph uh, coming to you from wherever you are. Uh, not stalking, just loving. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about the topic of consumer Christianity. Um, again, this is focused on new believers, but it's not for only new believers. So um, please feel free to catch us on the Anchored and Devoted website and send us your comments and thoughts, ideas for future podcasts. But today we're going to look at consumer Christianity. Um, uh, the reason why I chose this topic is that um, I've had the opportunity to live in other places outside of the country. And one of the biggest things that um, challenges me personally is the culture um, of consumer Christianity. Um, the uh, ability for believers to believe that uh, the consumer mindset is what we're called to be. And I'll clarify that. The bad things in life are not meant for us because only good things should come our way because God is good and we are there to receive all goodness from him. Um, that, What's that, wrong with that, Dave? What's wrong? <laughs> That sounds really good to me. It, it sounds very, it sounds very flat. It sounds very um, immature. Um, it does sound good in the sense of caramel good, um, but that's not what you're going to grow on or bear fruit from. Um, that is going to, you know, ruin your teeth <laughs> to keep that going. Um, we are, <clears throat> as children of God. Um, created for a purpose and consuming isn't it, producing is. And so producing then leads to a whole different discussion of um, being used by God for his uh, will to be done, not yours, um, as well as to bear both spiritual fruit and then to be used to encourage siblings to come to Christ, um, recognizing that God does the the, the heavy lifting, but he loves for us to be involved in his work. Mm. Uh, but that is much better than the caramel high you get from consuming only. And often, <clears throat> um, I get the questions of, you know, what's wrong when things don't go my way? Or what did I do wrong? Um, as opposed to seeing this as a war, a battle, against Satan and understanding that your foe really is trying to trip you up. And whenever you put your head up um, and actually engage in the battle, uh, you have made yourself clearly an enemy. Um, I'd say for consumer Christians, if you are one of them, um, uh, ways that you can tell that you are is, you know, look at your prayer. Um, if it's, if it's all about what you can get from God, he's your Santa Claus or your genie or um, your wish maker, you're wishing well. Um, that says a lot that it's not a relationship, that it really is. Or the relationship that you have is very flat. Um, you know, I push the button and then I get the potato chips. Like it's that kind of an interaction versus he is living and dynamic and infinite, eternal. All knowledge resides within him. Like that means, and I, that means I should know him and I can know him, even though 
I can't know all of him. I can be known by him as well. And that's um, not consumer friendly. Okay. <laughs> all right. So what you're saying reminds me of a cartoon that was, I don't know if it first came into being, but it was popular when uh, we were in seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a series called Cat and Dog Theology where they mm-hmm. harped on the the trope of cats versus dogs and cat lovers, dog lovers, etc. to talk about how people relate to God. And they said that a dog looks at its master and says, you feed me, you clothe me, you play with me, you provide for me, you must be God. A cat mm-hmm. looks at its owner and says, you feed me, you clothe me, you play with me, you provide for me, I must be God. Mm-hmm. And the very simple separation there is between the the center of the universe either being mean or being God. It's it's either God or it's me. Um, there were several several great Christian thinkers throughout the, the centuries and even the millennia who have said things essentially uh, stating that we're made to worship. Jonathan Edwards, in his um, one of his sermons, I believe it was called Affections of the, of the Christian Heart or Affections of the Heart, said we are all made to be worshipers and we will worship something. C.S. Lewis took that and, and extended that and said, basically, we're, we're going to worship either God, or we're going to worship ourselves. Mm. And what you're saying takes me in my mind right back to the garden. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them into a garden, a garden both in historic biblical times and today when we think of garden we don't think of a place where i get to go and uh, well let me take a step back from that we can think of a garden as a place where we go to sit down and to um receive and be refreshed um or we think of a garden as a place where we go to work we go to plant. We go to tend and cultivate and weed and protect. And so in the very first action that God, almost the, the very first work that God gives to Adam, identity, was that of a cultivator, a producer, a co-creator set into God's garden to tend the garden, to keep it and to cultivate it, to make it grow. And then he looks at him and says, and by the way, here's your wife, go and do the same with humanity cause it to grow, cause it to flourish, guard it, keep it, protect it. And Satan then steps into the garden and says, well, actually, this is really more about you. What are you getting out of this? Shouldn't, shouldn't you have the fruit from that tree over there? Shouldn't you have the right to know and be like God? And that, that twist has been with us ever since. Don't it's not about God. It's not about me being made by God to do the work that God's called me to do, which incidentally is, that sounds like scripture to any new believer. That is, um, Paul says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he had prepared for us to, that we would carry them out. But Satan turns that and says, well, actually, it's about you. It's about what you're getting out of this. It's about what you're going to receive. It's about the nature of your life being what you expect it to be. Not only do you, should you expect to receive everything that you want, but you also should expect that you can set that level wherever you want to set it, that you should be in charge of saying, this is what I deserve. This is the way my life should work out. This is what I should get. This is how people should treat me and relate to me. 
And if it doesn't measure up to that level, in my opinion, then something is wrong. Is that, is that more or less, uh, are we on the same page there? Yeah, I, I mean, a, a consumer is one where they view themselves as, um, as you stated, as the judge. They are the ones who get to um, play and be in that position of God, saying what is worthy and what isn't. Um, when the reality is that that's not what you're created to do. You have a God to go to um, who has given you a spirit as well as his son has died for you. You have this relationship, a real relationship in which <clears throat> you can um, learn what are those things that are worthy of praise. Um, and it's not yourself <laughs> it's just not as much it's harsh as, man it's harsh just hey this this to me is one of the biggest tricks of satan i've ever seen in my life mm, instead of just coming right at you and fighting you he's lulled us into this uh, complacency of comfort but comfort is our goal instead of christ um but that is not what christ came for he didn't come for our comfort he came for our sins so that we could be family with him, which is enough to cause us to recognize that we aren't worthy, but also that we owe him everything. Yes, we have a short memory. I get that. But when you look at the debt that's been paid off, it's hard for me to be able to accept the consumer model as a good model, um, the comfort-driven model as a good model, and that's nowhere near the cross. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't fun. It wasn't entertaining. Um, right. You know, this is something we have to understand if we're going to be family. He's not calling us to get comfortable here, right? This isn't the place to get comfortable. We're supposed to be pilgrims. That's very different. Ambassadors, again, very different. My homeland is what determines what I do, even in a foreign country, because I know no matter what, that's where I'm going back to. For many believers, many people who profess Christ, they're seeking comfort here. I'm not hating on money at all. So that, like, that's not the issue. The issue is, where do you place it in your life? And does God have freedom to do whatever he wants with it? If he's not part of the conversation, then I gotta, that's a big red flag. You, know, you have your hopes and dreams, they're in one area. And then you have Jesus and God and, you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit in another area. That's very much comfort Christianity. Right. You said that it sounds flat to you. You said mm -hmm. it sounds um, like caramel. Mm -hmm. but what you were describing a few minutes ago sounds to me very immature. Well, it is. I, I, think, I think you may have, in fact, used that word. But it sounds very toddler-like to me where, mm -hmm. you know, we've got kids. I expect my children to view the world through the lens of what am I getting and how is this affecting me? That's, that's kind of their, that's their starting. That's their, mm -hmm. that's their starting point. That, that's where they live. What I expect to happen though, is that as they get older, as they realize how much they have received, as they realize that they're a part of something bigger than the, than just them, that life doesn't exist for them to walk around in a diaper with someone following around to make sure that their mess is cleaned up and the place doesn't stink. But they get to now, having received that, 
step into a place of responsibility and of growth, taking on more responsibility for the responsibility that we all hold together. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think of it as if we're all trying to pull a, a ship, you know, there's kind of one line and we're trying to pull this ship through a canal. Every time someone's born, that person has to be carried until they're strong enough to join in. But once they're strong enough to join in, the purpose here is that they join in and grab onto that rope and start pulling along. Not that they're going to be as strong as you or I, but they lend what they do have Mm -hmm. as they get stronger. Because someday you and I are going to be gone and our strength is going to need to be replaced. But that mentality is one that I think there is an immaturity. And I think that... um, Seeking comfort is what children do. Mm-hmm. That's how they're designed to relate to the world. I, I stink. I feel bad. I am hungry. I'm tired. My, my go-to is I'm going to cry and wait for someone to come and fix it and comfort me, make me feel better. As Christians, the problem, there, there's, there's at least two problems with that. The first problem is that uh, Paul made it clear that there's a time for acting like a child and there's a time for acting like an adult. And, and when it's time to act like an, an adult, that means it's time to put childish things behind us. Mm-hmm. But secondly, and you and I have both experienced this, consumer Christianity is something that really is a first world problem. And I say that sort of as, mm-hmm. a, as a label, but in a very real sense, it, it is a first and, and possibly a second world problem. Mm-hmm. It is not a third world problem. Not in the sense that we're talking about. It doesn't matter where you are, okay? First, second, third world. Poverty doesn't matter. You can think of yourself as being the center of the universe, or you can think of God as being the center of the universe. And depending on which way you look at it, your life is going to be operated differently. However, in the first world, in America in particular, where we have so much, where it's not just that we have been... uh, blessed with, with material things, but the, just the comforts of life where you can step out of your office right now. It was raining a few minutes ago. I just stepped outside to get my kid out of the car. It was windy and cold, okay? I have a dresser full and a closet full of clothes. I have multiple sets of jackets and mm-hmm. coats. It doesn't matter how cold it gets or how hot it gets. I can adjust to that in my clothing. Already, I don't have to go out and buy anything else. I can adjust to that right now. Additionally, I can get into my car, turn on the heater or the air conditioner, drive to where it is, wherever it is I'm trying to go, get out of my car and step into something else that's climate controlled, and then sit down for the rest of the day. And I mean, whether you're taking the bus or an Uber or Lyft, again, you're still doesn't matter. Yeah, in a space where um, the comfort is driving the decision, and that becomes the habit that pushes every decision including the spiritual ones okay that see that that's really important what you just said it's a habit that then pushes the decision because we think of habits as following our decisions but you said it's the opposite and i think you're completely right yeah we get we get habituated to this lifestyle and that then shapes the way that we think about ourselves and the world around us what Mm -hmm. we should expect and how we then 
carry our expectation into the world and and see to it that our expectations met. And I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I think that's a really crucial point to uh, I mean, when reflect you, when you on. talk about Christian comfort and then look at things like missions and how we support other um, people in other places with the mindset of quick, again, being the main thing and then easy being the second thing. Um, right. That That is not... Um, what a mature person does, you know. Um, my little guy um, has an issue. He comes in, daddy fix it, and that was quick and easy, right? Because <laughs> that, sure. this is what's. I will get up and wash the linen, or you know, whatever you broke, I'll put it back together. But it's it's one of those things where the adult, the mature person, actually does the work that isn't as easy as saying. Okay, you know, yeah, I can definitely sell you some money or send you some money, um, Venmo or whatever, and we can do this. Or, you know, you really should go set up a GoFundMe page and people will support it. And you're like, no, no, no. (laughs) At no point was prayer in that to understand what God's doing in the life of that individual, as well as the situation with an understanding that often he's working not just on one thing, but generational stuff. And you just don't even have a conversation with them about it. We just go ahead to the point of, oh yeah, we can take care of this. This isn't a God thing. Just like a child, this isn't a God thing. So comfort Christianity really says, I got it. And then when it gets big, you know, September 11th or some other things that are off the meter, you see this huge falling out of people, weeping, gnashing of teeth, the whole nine yards. Where is God? He's been here the whole time. Comfort Christianity is one where we haven't tried to grow the relationship. We've been ignoring him. We've, you know, not involved him in our daily life. Um, we've invited him into our five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, our Burger King quickie devotional that, you know, comes via the mail or an app or something like that. But that's not how real relationship grows. I haven't, I mean, I'll put it out there. I haven't met anyone who met their mate on Tinder. And yet people try and <laughs> act like that's how you engage with Jesus. Like, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't. Like, if you swipe left or right, that's going to work out. I want the Holy Spirit today. No, I'll take the Father. Okay, we got 10 minutes. Let's read something out of Genesis and bless his day and let's, let's go. That, that's so consumer-centric because you are the center of the conversation. There's no space for God in your life outside of, you know, take care of me. Like, again, a wishing well. You, you do you and I'll do me and we'll be okay with that. And here's where, <clears throat> here's where that really is detrimental to the believer. When things are going well, we believe that it's because God ha- is for us. Mm-hmm. And he's been causing all these things to go our way. Everything's coming up aces. But as soon as things start to go wrong, it, it tears down whatever foundation we had of God's love, of his faithfulness, of his care, mm-hmm. of his mercy, of his power. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment that Satan bum rushes us and starts telling us all sorts of things accusing God of being false, of being a liar, of being a cheat, of being a deceiver, all the things that Satan himself is. He 
he takes those opportunities to come in and start pushing on us. It, it, it's very much like Job. Now, again, I'm going to say this from the outset. God lets this happen because God loves us. Mm-hmm. God loves me enough to let me get out there on the monkey bars knowing that I can't hold on and I'm going to fall off. Because, A, he loves me enough to let me choose that. B, he loves me enough to let me hit that mulch on the ground and hurt my bum and my pride and then look over at him crying so that he can come and say, hey, I love you, man. I told you not to do that. If you want to do that, let me help you. I want to help you do that. You're going to be able to do that, but you're not there yet. I want to get you there. Satan comes in and says, God made you slip. He abandoned you there. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. <laughs> and that's what he's about. This, this is exactly what happened to Job. God let it happen. God permitted Satan to come and test Job. And then as soon as we see yeah, so the story of Job, just for those who are new and haven't, haven't read through, Job's a really righteous guy. Satan comes before God and says, hey, um, I think that people only like you because you're giving them good things. And God says, well, look at Job. Job is really faithful. And Satan says, yeah, well, again, that's because you've given him lots of stuff. He's got the big house. He's got the big car. He's got lots of kids. They're all healthy. He's his 401k stacked. Okay. God says, all right, well. I don't think that's the reason. You go ahead and take that from him. Just don't touch him. And Satan says, okay. And then Satan goes, and we read that all of Job's kids die. All of his flocks are stolen. All of his property is destroyed. Um, And it's all in one day. Just boom. Pours out like cement out of a truck on top of him. And Job doesn't turn away from God. He doesn't say, God, what are you doing? Why, why this isn't right? Satan comes back to God the next day, and God says, did you consider Job? And Satan says, well, I did, but it's because if you, if you start causing him actual pain, yeah, all these things weren't good for him, but if you actually start causing him pain, then he's going to curse you. And God says, all right, you can touch him. You can't kill him. And Satan comes back, and Job is inflicted with all kinds of sores and illnesses that leave him in a completely wretched physical state. And he still won't curse God, but this is where the presence, the identity of Satan leaves the story. But the effect of Satan continues because Job has four friends that come around him to be friends. They try their best. They do a really good job for the first week when they don't say anything. Then they start to talk and they prove that they're not very good friends because they think that they know what's going on. They think they can talk for God. They think that if they can convince Job that what they know, what they see is accurate, then Job's life can be better. And, And the point is, no, Job was always in God's hands. God allowed these things to happen for God's own purposes. It wasn't so that Job could have a happy, blessed life. It was so that God could be glorified. And that's a really hard statement mm-hmm. in our culture. You, you're not going to find that on the bumper sticker to say, hey, come to Jesus. It's not about you. Your life's probably going to get worse. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I haven't heard that preached on Sunday. And I, I do 
try and encourage people when they come to Christ to understand, you know, you were on Satan's team and now you're on God. So you're officially at war with the person who used to be one of your biggest fans. Um, it's, it's redefining love to the point where it's not, um, again, a comfortable thing. It's about growing. And that is often very uncomfortable. In Matthew 22, when Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, love God, and you know, love others like you love yourself. When I hear that, that, that idea of being love, um, that we are to love God to such a degree first that it changes everything about our days yeah. and love others as we love. There's nothing I don't do for myself. Right. And this isn't saying this was only for believers. He was talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. So he wasn't talking to believers and this wasn't directed to the disciples. He was saying love others, period. Mm -hmm. So when you when you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, you understand that the weight of what we're called to do as believers in Christ is one where the love we are to show is sacrificial. That's the expectation. And he told us and others to go do this, to go be good, to go love others. Um, that's not consumer friendly. There's, there's no tweeting that. Like, there's no, you know, selfies of it. It's, I got to get my hands dirty. I got to open up my wallet. Yes, but that's not the first thing. Why? Because I got to get to know the person. I, I've got to put myself in jeopardy. Why? Because I'm not mine anymore. I belong to God. Um, that, that really is so uncomfortable, so selfless. And, and that's what I um, hear over and over again as we talk is that we're called to be people who are. Um, uh, now, please don't get this twisted. You're not supposed to be out like, you know, not taking care of yourself or, you know, doing something extreme. It's the reality that you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, so if you would do this for yourself, then definitely you should be to the space where you'd be willing to do it for someone else. Again, not a believer. So don't right. think it's only for believers. This is so that God gets the glory. So when the person asks, why are you doing this? God loves you. Right. You know, Jesus died for you. I don't need to even get into the weeds. This is uncomfortable for me. I'm letting the Holy Spirit guide the conversation. I am going to push down my desire to run, flee, make it about me. It really is about God and his glory. And that is our purpose as believers in Christ. Yes, um, it is. Not comfort. Yeah. And so Jesus was saying, as he was speaking to the... Um to the Pharisees and to the disciples. And he said, which of you being evil, if your kid asks you for a loaf of bread, is going to give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake. But if you being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give you everything that you ask? So confronting this consumerism, um, as you're talking, what I'm thinking is there's a, there's a comparison that's always going on in our minds. You know, we kind of, we have this balance that we view of how am I doing against 
And we, we fill in the blank with whoever mm-hmm. that against is. And I want to suggest here, the person listening, that you need to check into that on probably a daily basis. Who are you comparing yourself to? When you're feeling good about yourself or when you're feeling bad about yourself, who are you comparing yourself to? Is, a, is this the person on the TV? Is the person on the TikTok? Is the person in the movie? Is it the neighbor? Is the person that you pass in the street who catches your eye because of how together they look? Or is it the Christian who right now is facing torture and murder in Saudi Arabia or in China or in various places around the globe right now because they're not willing to say, I'm sorry, you can take my life, but I cannot give up my Jesus. Mm. Beyond that even, is it Christ, as you said, Dave, who stepped out of heaven, who stepped into your place, who took your spot on the cross and gave up his life for you? No. So one of the biggest things as a believer that you need to be mindful of is that often the culture changes slowly and gently, Uh, very much like uh, cooking a frog or lobsters or crab or anything you can put in the pot and slowly boil. Um, That's how consumer Christianity works. It's often very slow. It's very Mm -hmm. gentle. It's not, um, well, it's becoming more overt, but it it typically isn't. Um, And you just, especially if you don't have good relationships, you end up in a space where you realize that you have more things than relationships. You have more um, money than minutes with God. Um, You have more, um, um, you know, honestly, you end up, you're alone. Um, Even though you go to church, even though you worship and sing, the the relationship with God is not there. and he's still there. It's that you walked away for something else, or we've walked away for something else that is less than, and um, it's not worthy of him or worthy of you because he has made you new. And you can let these things go, create new habits um, that encourage a deeper relationship with him. First through prayer, second through obedience to his word, and then third, by being intentional um, to go to the spiritual gym, to choose things that push you, yeah. um, that push your faith uh, so that God can prune, so that God can grow you, whether it's giving more than you think you can give, whether it's serving in places that you would never imagine serving, like really putting yourself out there so that God gets the glory and making sure that's who gets it. This isn't me calling a newspaper or whatever and then saying, hey, look at me, or I'm possibly going to run for mayor. No, this is so God gets the glory. He will do the rest, but he has to get the glory. Amen. 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 You have a great day. All right, I'm going to stop this one.